All right, so this morning um, we are going to be talking about uh, the, our Wellspring disciplines, and I kind of wanted to focus on one in particular, um, the first one. So I wanted to share uh, with you guys what I do often in my daily Bible reading. I read um, a prayer from the Valley of Vision. I'm sure a lot of you know uh, what it is and have read it. If you don't know, it's a collection of prayers written by Puritans um, a long, long time ago. Um, and so it's not really intended as like a prayer manual, you know, like just pray what it says. Um, but it, it kind of is just a springboard for uh, you when you read to kind of gr- uh, direct and guide your prayers. Um, and for me, I appreciate it because the Puritans are um, a lot more eloquent than I am <laughs> uh, when I pray. And so a lot of times I read these and I'm like, oh my goodness, that was so good. So I'm sure a lot of you have gotten texts from me <laughs> with pictures of the page because I'm like, oh, this was good today. You got to hear it. So um, I wanted to read one with you this morning and I have it on a half sheet in the back if you want to follow along. Um, and it's called Regeneration. Uh, so when we read this, um, they don't have like the specific author of who wrote each one. So I'm not sure who this was, but you can tell as you read it, that you hear scripture coming out through his prayer. And, um, that just makes me think he must've been spending a lot of time in God's word because it just came out when he prayed. Um, and so that is an encouragement to me. Um, so I'm going to read it it's called regeneration. Oh God of the highest heaven. Occupy the throne of my heart. Take full possession and reign supreme. Lay low every rebel lust. Let no vile passion resist thy holy war. Manifest thy mighty power and make me thine forever. Thou art worthy to be praised with my every breath. Loved with every faculty of soul. Served with every act of life. Thou hast loved me, espoused me, received me purchased, washed, favored, clothed, adorned me when I was worthless, vile, soiled, polluted. I was dead in iniquities, having no eyes to see thee, no ears to hear thee, no taste to relish thy joys, and no intelligence to know thee. But thy spirit has quickened me, has brought me into a new world as a new creature, has given me spiritual perception has opened me to thy word as light, guide, solace, joy. Thy presence is to me a treasure of unending peace. No provocation can part me from thy sympathy, for thou hast drawn me with cords of love. Thou dost forgive me daily, hourly. Oh, help me then to walk worthy of thy love, of my hopes and my vocation. Keep me, for I cannot keep myself. Protect me that no evil befall me. Let me lay aside every sin admired of many. Help me to walk by thy side, lean on thy arm, hold converse with thee, that henceforth I may be salt of the earth and a blessing to all. Now, the first time I read that, when I finished, I thought, I want to be salt of the earth. I want to be a blessing to all. And I'm sure you all do too. So then my next thought was, how do I do that? How do I become the salt of the earth? How do I be a blessing to all? Um, and the author tells us in the prayer when he says, Occupy the throne of my heart. Thou art worthy to be loved with every faculty of soul. Thy spirit has opened me to thy word. Thy presence is to me a treasure. Help me to walk by thy side. Hold converse with thee. So what do all those things mean? They mean read your Bible. And they mean discipline one. 
The faithful woman of God shepherds her heart worshipfully toward God through the word of God and in particular the gospel. And I think a key word for me there is faithfully. And so I googled faithfully. I probably should use a dictionary, but I don't think we own one. Um, Faithfully means steady, reliable, and thorough. So do you remember when Jamie came um, maybe like three or four weeks ago and she taught on the danger of pride and she asked us a question. Do you realize that you will exalt yourself without a steady diet of God's word? We need a steady diet of God's word. We have to be faithful. So my kids can't expect to win a spelling bee without studying the words. I can't expect to run a marathon without running regularly. So if we don't study God's word on a regular basis, how can we expect to, and this is quoting the, uh, the prayer, manifest God's mighty power, love God with every faculty of our soul, serve God with every aspect of our life, lay aside every sin, and be a blessing to all. If we don't do that, how can we expect to do discipline two, which is be concerned for those in my home and minister to them? Or discipline three, step into the church and every other part of life to shepherd others toward God and the gospel. If I'm not already worshipfully, faithfully shepherding my own heart towards God with the gospel. So this makes me think, summer's coming. I know we have six more weeks of school. Um, But that means for many of us with kids in school, our schedules totally change. And um, it's much, much harder to be disciplined. And it's much, much harder to be in the Word because it's a different schedule. So we need to now determine that no matter what happens, whatever the circumstances or the busyness or vacation or people in town or... um, that we'll still make a choice to be disciplined, to be in God's word on a regular basis. And then that made me think of those of you who don't have kids in school because there's so, so little, I remember. (laughs) And it is hard. It's so hard to be in God's word on a daily basis, but it's so important. One day it's gonna get easier. Um, One day you'll have more of a schedule, Um, but don't let the busyness of toddlers and babies supersede the importance of being in God's word. And then I thought, sometimes we have trouble having a desire to be in God's Word. Sometimes there's not that longing to be in the Word daily. So, I suggest reading Psalm 119. And I know Scott's been reading that on Sunday mornings in church. And it's so encouraging. The the author of Psalm 119 took 176 verses to talk about the Word of God. Which, he loved it so much, he couldn't condense it. 176 verses, and all of them are about God's Word. Um... He couldn't stop talking about it. So I wrote a few examples down to share with you guys because it's so, so encouraging. Verse 16 says, Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. 24 says, Your testimonies are my delight. 33 says, Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes. 40, Behold, I long for your precepts. 72, The law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces which I wanted to make my prayer, the law of your mouth is better to me than 20 minutes of sleep. (laughs) That's a hard one. Um, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. That's verse 105. 114, I hope in your word. And 162, I rejoice at your word like one who finds great spoil. So I just want to remind you guys, there is an urgency of our need to shepherd our hearts faithfully because we are solely reliant on God and his word. That is all we have. 
Let's pray before Chris comes up this morning. Father God, we love you, and we know everything you do is for our good and for your glory, and yet you have seen fit to redeem us when we had no eyes to see thee and no ears to hear thee, God. You chose to love us. You chose to give us eternal life, and then you gave us your words. You gave us your words so that we could learn about you, so that we could worship you, so that we could glorify you better. Father, I pray that we would see the need to be disciplined, to faithfully be in your word every day, to be filling our hearts with your truth, uh, with your gospel, so that we can bless those around us, so that we can um, share the light of your gospel with a lost and dying world. Father, I think particularly for many in this room, we have children who need to hear your truth. They also need to see the gospel lived out before them, God. And we are so much better equipped to do that when we are spending time in your word and shepherding our hearts. Father God, this morning, I thank you for Chris. I thank you for the time that she has spent studying Abigail um, and is prepared to come and tell us what your word has to say. God, I pray that we would be listening with um, humble hearts and open ears who truly want to change and who want to be teachable so that we can become women who love you and serve you. Father, thank you for this group of ladies. Thank you for their faithfulness. We love you so much, God. In your name, amen. Thank you, Melissa. Sometimes I think it's so helpful to uh, hear disciplines from other women. And uh, so I really appreciate you sharing with us this morning. Well, this morning, we are going to look at the life of a woman who was known for her wisdom and discretion. She was a woman who was ready to speak the truth when truth needed to be heard. The account of Abigail's life is in 1 Samuel 25, and as part of your homework, you read that in preparation for today, right? You read that? Okay, good. Now, so this passage that we're going to look at this morning is a narrative, and there are some things that we need to remember when we are reading a narrative in Scripture, and you have these in your outline. So the first thing we need to remember is that the character Um, The main character and the hero um, is always God. I think it can be tempting when we read any passage, um, and it'd be easy for us to focus on the players that God has set on his stage. Um, For example, Abigail. It's easy for us to only focus on her, and God obviously does use her, and there is a lot that we can learn from her. That's why we're going to look at her life this morning. But as we read narratives, we can't miss the one who is at work through his players. God is the one who faithfully keeps his promises. He is the one who faithfully works in the lives of those whom he chooses for his purposes. And we're going to see that this morning in the life of Abigail as well as David. The second thing that we need to remember is that there are many details that we are given in any narrative, but there are also many that are not given. And so as readers, we need to be very careful that we don't read more into what's going on than what's written. 
We're given just what we need to know, and we need to let Scripture just be Scripture. At the same time, because we're reading an historical narrative, we can't forget that we're reading about real people and real places at a real time in history. And so understanding the historical context will help us to rightly understand the information that is given to us. And then lastly, not everything that is written in a narrative is to be taken as something to apply. Okay, it may simply be telling us what happened. It may not, for example, tell us if someone is making a good choice or why it was made. It simply informs us of what the characters did. So let's keep those in mind this morning as we look at our passage. But before we do, I'd like to pray. Father in heaven, we are so thankful for your word. Father, thank you that you reveal so much about yourself to us through your word. Thank you that it reminds us of how faithful you are and of how trustworthy you are. So I pray, Father, this morning that we, as we open up your word, that we would focus on you, that we would see you at work and that we would remind it that you are faithful and that you are a God who can be trusted in any circumstance in our life. So we commit this morning to you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, I want to begin, um, I want us to read the, the, um, the all of chapter 25. It's a really long chapter, I know, but we're going to start in verse 1, and we're going to read all the way to the very beginning of um, verse 39. So um, as we read, one of the things that we need to, to notice is that the word Lord is used um, three in uh, a couple different ways. We're going to see it actually three ways. So we'll see it used in a lower with a lowercase l when it refers to either Nabal or to David. And then we'll also see it used in all uppercase letters, and that's when it refers to God. So we might just uh, take note of that while we're reading. Um, and I also want to give you just a little bit of background to set the context of chapter 25. So in 1 Samuel 15, we see that Saul is king. But because he was disobedient to the Lord, the prophet Samuel told Saul in verse 23 that because he had rejected the word of the Lord, the Lord had rejected him. And um, it tells us that Samuel grieved over the sin of Saul because of his love for God and because of his love for God's people. And then in chapter 16, God tells Samuel that he has selected a new king. And um, he promises uh, to show Samuel who is to replace Saul. So obviously we know that God chooses David. He chose David out of all of the sons of Jesse as his anointed king. And it was the prophet Samuel who anointed David as the next king of Israel. So Saul is fueled by jealousy and he sets out to kill his successor, David. We know from chapter 19 that as David was on the run trying to escape the wrath of Saul, that he went to Ramah, and it tells us that Samuel was with David there. 
We also know from chapter 12 that Samuel was a constant intercessor for Israel, praying daily for them. It tells us that in verse 23. So keeping that in mind about Samuel, let's pick up in uh, verse 1. Then Samuel died, and all Israel gathered together and mourned for him and buried him at his house in Ramah. And David arose and went down to the wilderness of Paran. So the fact that all of Israel gathered together to mourn Samuel's death tells us that Samuel's role as a prophet and a godly leader was recognized by the whole nation to be a blessing for Israel. I don't want us to miss the significance of this great prophet's death to Israel and to David personally. David's advisor and confidant has died, and David, along with the whole nation, is plunged into deep grief. It seems that this is a very dark period in David's life, and that's going to be important to remember as we look at this passage. So let's continue reading. Now there was a man in Maon whose business was in Carmel, and the man was very rich, and he had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats. And it came about that while he was shearing his sheep in Carmel, and then it gives us some information about him. This man's name was Nabal, and his wife's name was Abigail. And the woman was intelligent and beautiful in appearance, but the man was harsh and evil in his dealings, and he was a Calebite. And then it goes on to tell us what happened while Nabal's sheep were being sheared. David heard uh, in the wilderness that Nabal's, Nabal was shearing his sheep. So David sent 10 men and David said to the young men, go up to Carmel, visit Nabal and greet him in my name. And thus you shall say, have a long life, peace be to you and peace be to your house and peace be to all that you have. Now I have heard that you have shears among your shepherds uh, excuse me, you have shears now, and your shepherds have been with us, and we have not insulted them, nor have they missed anything all the days that we were in Carmel. Ask your young men, and they will tell you. Therefore, let my young men find favor in your eyes, for we have come on a festive day. Please give whatever you find at hand to your servants and to your son, David. When David's young men came, they spoke to Nabal according to all these words in David's name. Then they waited. But Nabal answered David's servants and said, Who is David? And who is the son of Jesse? There are many servants today who are each breaking away from his master. Shall I then take my bread and my water and my meat that I have slaughtered for my shears and give it to men whose origin I do not know? So David's men retraced their way and went back, and they came and told him according to all these words. David said to his men, Each of you gird on his sword. So each man girded on his sword, and David also girded on his sword. And about 400 men went up behind David, while 200 stayed with the baggage. But one of the young men told Abigail, told Abigail, Nabal's wife, saying, Behold, David sent messengers from the wilderness to greet our master, and he scorned them 
Yet the men were very good to us, and we were not insulted, nor did we miss anything as long as we went about with them while, the, while we were in the fields. They were a wall to us both by night and by day, all the time we were with them tending the sheep. Now therefore know and consider what you should do. For evil is plotted against our master and against all his household, and he is such a worthless man that no one can speak to him. Then Abigail hurried and took two hundred loaves of bread and two jugs of wine and five sheep already prepared and five measures of roasted grain and a hundred clusters of raisins and two hundred cakes of figs and loaded them on donkeys. She said to her young men, Go on before me. Behold, I am coming after you. But she did not tell her husband, Nabal. It came about as she was riding on her donkey and coming down by the hidden part of the mountain that, behold, David and his men were coming down toward her. So she met them. Then Now David had said, Surely in vain I have guarded all that this man has in the wilderness, so that nothing was missed of all that belonged to him. And he has returned me evil for good. May God do so to the enemies of David, and more also if by morning I leave as much as one male of any who belong to him. When Abigail saw David, she hurried and dismounted from her donkey and fell on her face before David and bowed herself to the ground. She fell at his feet and said, On me alone, my lord, be the blame, and please let your maidservant speak to you and listen to the words of your maidservant. Please do not let my Lord pay attention to this worthless man, Nabal. For as his name is, so is he. Nabal is his name, and folly is with him. But I, your maidservant, did not see the young men of my Lord whom you sent. Now, therefore, my Lord, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, since the Lord has restrained you from shedding blood and from avenging yourself by your own hand, now then, let your enemies and those who seek evil against my Lord be as Nabal. Now let this gift, which your maidservant has brought to my Lord, be given to the young men who accompany my Lord. Please forgive the transgression of your maidservant, for the Lord will certainly make for my Lord an enduring house, because my Lord is fighting the battles of the Lord, and evil will not be found in you all your days. Should anyone rise up to pursue you and seek your life, then the life of my Lord shall be bound in the bundle of the living with the Lord your God. But the, but the lives of your enemies he will sling out from the hollow of a sling. And when the Lord does for my Lord according to all the good that he has spoken concerning you, and appoints you ruler over Israel, this will not cause grief or a troubled heart to my Lord, both having shed blood without cause and by my Lord having avenged himself. When the Lord deals with my Lord, then remember your maidservant. Then David said to Abigail, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel who sent you this day to meet me. And blessed be your discernment, and blessed be you who have kept me this day from bloodshed, and from the avenging myself, myself by my own hand. 
Nevertheless, as the Lord God of Israel lives, who has restrained me from harming you, unless you had come quickly to meet me, surely there would have been, there would, excuse me, there would not have been left to Nabal until the morning light as much as one male. So David received from her hand what she had brought him and said to her, Go up to your house in peace. See, I have listened to you and granted your request. Then Abigail came to Nabal, and behold, he was holding a feast in his house, like the feast of a king. And Nabal's heart was merry within him, for he was very drunk. So she did not tell him anything at all until the morning light. But in the morning, when the wine had gone out of Nabal, his wife told him all these things, and his heart died within him, so that he became as a stone. About ten days later, the Lord struck Nabal, and he died. When David heard that Nabal was dead, he said, Blessed be the Lord, who has pleaded the cause of my reproach from the hand of Nabal, and has kept back his servant from evil. <clears throat> so, there obviously is much that we can glean from Abigail's life, as well as those in her life. We're going to see this morning how God used Abigail to protect her household as well as David, the future king of Israel. Now, in order to understand the role that Abigail played and how God used her, we need to understand two other people um, in her life. So the first one that we're going to look at is her husband, Nabal. So the first thing that this passage tells us about Nabal is that he had a business and that he was very wealthy. Now, most commentators believe that having been a descendant of Caleb or a Calebite, as it tells us in verse 3, meant that he would have had inherited the land around Hebron, which may have meant that that was the source of his wealth, not his hard work. Another thing that is important for us to know is that names in the Old Testament had a greater significance than they do today. The significance of a name often played a bearing on what God, either what God was doing in the life of that person or often revealed the character of that person. Now, the name Nabal means fool or senseless. In verse 25, Abigail said of her husband Nabal, For as his name is, so is he. Nabal is his name, and folly is with him. And we know from reading this passage that Nabal indeed was a foolish man. Listen to what scripture tells us about a foolish person, keeping Nabal in mind um, and what we just read about him. Psalm 14.1 says the fool, and by the way, that Hebrew word for fool is the word Nabal. So the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. This kind of person is one who is full of pride. Proverbs 1.7 tells us the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Proverbs 28, 26 tells us he who trusts in his own heart is a fool. 
but he who walks wisely will be delivered. Isaiah 32, 6 says, For a fool speaks nonsense, and his heart inclines toward wickedness, to practice ungodliness and to speak error against the Lord, to keep the hungry person unsatisfied and to withhold drink from the thirsty. From the thirsty. So the, the text also shows us that Nabal was harsh. He was unkind. He was deceptive, selfish, worthless, a drunkard, arrogant, and unapproachable. And he was evil in his dealings. And not just occasionally, but the idea is that it was his habit. It was his practice. And what was the source of his evil dealings? What do we know about that? It was his heart. Those evil dealings were an overflow of his heart. So that gives us an idea as, as to what kind of a man Nabal was on a heart level. Now this foolish, prideful man had a wife whose name was Abigail. Let's look at how this passage describes her. Verse 3 tells us that she was intelligent and she was beautiful in appearance. She was intelligent. Now the word used here means more than what we would tend to think of when we hear that word intelligent. It means goodness or having desirable or positive qualities. It means to be prudent or sensible. Other versions of the Bible translate this word for intelligent as wise, having good understanding or discerning. And we know from verse 33 that David recognized her discernment. So, think about how this passage describes this husband and this wife. Here we have a beautiful, wise woman and she is married to an evil, foolish man. How can a woman in such difficult circumstances honor God? I think that's going to become evident to us as we continue. Now, you might be thinking, how did these two end up married? Well, there are some things we need to understand about the culture in which Abigail lived. Abigail lived in a time where marriages were arranged. Often the best women, for example, the most beautiful, were given to wealthy men. And not only was Abigail in what had to have been a very difficult marriage, but she was also childless. She didn't have any children. In that culture, there was a lot of shame tied to being childless. What a challenging life for Abigail. But remembering the significance that names often held in the Old Testament, again, often revealing the character of that person, I want to point out the meaning of Abigail's name. Whereas we saw that Nabal's name meant fool, Abigail's name meant cause of joy. And we'll see how that indeed revealed her character. And the other person that we need to look at is David. This glimpse into David's life at this point in time, in this chapter, helps us see so clearly 
that we must never neglect to shepherd our heart, to watch over it with all diligence, understanding how weak we can become when we are not determined, focused on putting our trust in God in every circumstance of our life. We see in so many other places in scripture that David knew how to guard his heart. We see that in chapter 23 when Saul was set on killing David and the men of Kali were going to deliver him to Saul. What did David do? He escaped. He didn't retaliate. He just ran from the evil plotted against him. In chapter 24, we see that Saul continued to hunt down David with the purpose of putting him to death. And what did David do in that long-lived trial? He trusted in God, and he guarded his heart from doing evil. We also see this when David and his men were hiding in a cave, and then Saul entered that cave. Remember, verse 3 describes how vulnerable Saul was in that cave. David could have seen that as the perfect opportunity to end his life of running and the constant threat to his life. And to make it even more challenging, we see in verse 4 that even David's men encouraged him to take matters into his own hands. But though the Lord had anointed David as king, he refused to harm Saul because he knew it wasn't his place to raise his hand against Saul. David was trusting in God to avenge him. So that's how we find David guarding his heart right before this chapter with Abigail. Now let's look at what happens right after this encounter. Let's jump ahead to chapter 26. <clears throat> In verse 1, we see that the Ziphites betrayed David. What does David do? He goes. He leaves. Again, no retaliation. And then we find David with yet another opportunity to end Saul's life and with it the threat to his own. David came to the place where Saul was encamped and David found Saul and his men asleep. And do you remember what was with Saul? There was a spear in the ground right <coughs> next to Saul's head. Abishai, who was with David, was trying to persuade him to end Saul's life and telling him in verse 8, God has delivered your enemy into your hand. Therefore, please let me take, let me strike him with the spear. But David's reply shows his fear of the Lord and his trust in him when he said, the Lord forbid that I should stretch out my hand against the Lord's anointed. But now please take the spear that is at his head and the jug of water and let us go. And David walked away. So again, we see evidence that David knew how to guard his heart well, how to choose to trust God with his plan rather than take matters into his own hand. David chose to stay on the run, in hiding, rather than sin against God. David had great restraint and self-control. He was willing to wait on 
and trust in God's perfect timing. David was a man who later in history would be known as a man after God's own heart. So now inserted in between these accounts, we find in chapter 25, David and his men in the wilderness in Paran, protecting Nabal's sheep and shepherds from tribes that might come in and try and steal livestock or bring harm to the shepherds who were watching over the sheep. David's character is revealed as we see his willingness to work, though a king, in order to provide for his needs, as well as the 600 men who were with him. And it was because of David and his men that Nabal's flocks prospered. And so, according to the custom of that day, at the time the sheep were being sheared, it was common for the owner of the flocks to set aside a portion of the profit that he made and to give it to those who had protected the flocks and the shepherds while they were out in the fields. David and his men, we know, had been faithful in watching for Nabal's shepherds and flocks. So when David heard that Nabal's sheep were being sheared, he reasoned that he would be paid for his work. It was not at all an unreasonable then for David to go and to ask Nabal to respond kindly to him. So we see in chapter 5 that David sent 10 men to remind Nabal of how he had profited because of David and his men, and to ask Nabal for whatever payment that he thought was appropriate, and then they were to, those men were to bring it back to David. So let's look again at verses 5 through 9. So David sent 10 young men and told them, Go up to Carmel, visit Nabal, and greet him in my name. And thus you shall say, have a long life, peace be to you, and peace be to your house, and peace be to all that you have. And now I have heard that you have shearers. Now your shepherds have been with us, and we have not insulted them, nor have they missed anything all the days they were in Carmel. Ask your young men, and they will tell you. Therefore let my young men find favor in your eyes, for we have come on a festive day, Please give whatever you find at hand to your servants and to your son David. When David's young men came, they spoke to Nabal according to all these words in David's name. Then they waited. David's request of Nabal through his servants showed the epitome of courtesy. They asked in a very respectful manner. They didn't demand a certain amount, but they left it up to Nabal's discretion. And even referring to David as your son was a sign of respect. It showed that they esteemed Nabal of his, um, because of his position of authority, kind of like an employee to his boss. It seemed that David was trusting God to provide for his men and for him through Nabal. So now in that culture, Nabal had a choice of how generous of a gift he wanted to give. At the very least, he could have given them bread and water, which, although wouldn't have been a generous gift by any means, that would have been acceptable. However, in spite of David's job well done, done and humble approach, Nabal not only refused any payment for David and his men, but his response was insulting. He chose to return evil for good. Let's look again at Nabal's response to David 
to David's men in verse 10. He said, Who is David? And who is the son of Jesse? There are many servants nowadays who are breaking away from their masters. Shall I then take my bread and my water and my meat that I have slaughtered from my shears and give it to men whose origin I do not know? In his response, David uh, David was being accused by Nabal of being an insignificant man, a runaway slave rather than being God's chosen king of Israel. Nabal offended David by treating him as a rebel whose request was unworthy of consideration. Nabal's attitude was lofty and self-centered. He withheld what was rightly due David. Remember what verse 2 told us about Nabal? He was a very rich man. He had the means to give David and his men a very generous gift for his services. And yet, he was unwilling to even recognize their care from which he had benefited. Unwilling to provide for them even the very basics of bread and water. And he justified his own greed by pleading ignorance. The, this disrespectful act of ignorance of David was surely a pretense. The knowledge of this young king-elect was widespread. Dave, uh, Nabal pretended not to know to excuse his unwillingness to do what was right. And there are at least two things in our passage that help us see that. In verse 10, Nabal said, Who is David and who is the son of Jesse? Nabal at least knew who David's father was. And we read that Abigail clearly understood God's call on David's life. So it's hard to imagine how a woman could have known in that culture that and yet her very powerful businessman husband did not. So let's look now at David's response. In verse 22, we see that David is set on avenging this wrong. He said to his men, in verse 13, Each of you gird on his sword, and David also girded on his sword. And about 400 men went up behind David. Now, we all know what 400 men with swords intend to do. David here is acting impulsively and actually resolved to murder and to take his own vengeance. What happened? Does this sound like the David in the cave who spared Saul's life and prevented others from killing Saul? even when they had the perfect opportunities to do so? Does this sound like the David who during his fight with the insulting giant Goliath thought only of the honor of the living God? It was sinful pride for Nabal to withhold any kind of recognition for the service he had received. But David, the remarkable man of God who had modeled patience for years under the unjust treatment of Saul, seemed to have lost sight of God's promises 
and the need to guard his heart. And we know that doesn't just happen to David, does it? It certainly appears that David had anger burning in his heart because it wasn't enough for him just to get even by taking the life of Nabal. But his plan was to take the lives of Nabal's entire household. Remember, he had 400 men with him. He wanted Nabal's entire household to be utterly destroyed. This would have included skilled workers and shepherds as well as extended family members. They weren't all guilty of sinfully withholding from David, and yet David doesn't seem to take that into consideration. What does this tell us about David's heart? About our own hearts? Outside pressures often reveal an area of weakness, showing us where our trust in God is weak. And when our hearts are unguarded, we are vulnerable to all kinds of sin. Isn't this true for all of us? We may have been in a good place yesterday. We may, fi- we may find that we're in a good place tomorrow. But there could be something that blindsides us in the very next circumstance that we face today that could cause us to give in to temptation. And so we must prepare for it now. With all that we've learned about the heart in Wellspring, doesn't this just remind us of how much we need to be in God's Word for the purpose of knowing Him so that we are ready to trust Him when the circumstances of life catch us off guard? Why? Because we live in a mixed condition. We are all capable of trusting God one minute and turning from his ways the next. It is sobering reading this passage and seeing what our hearts are capable of. And yet, we see God's grace in turning David back from this sin by using two people, an unnamed servant of Nabal's and Abigail. So let's first look at the young man of Nabal's household. I want us to see the wisdom that he displayed by his choice in going to Abigail with the information he had received. Let's read what the young man told Abigail, starting in verse 14. The men were very good to us, and we were not insulted, nor did we miss anything as long as we went about with them while we were in the fields. They were a wall to us by both night and by day, all the time we were with them tending the sheep. Now therefore know and consider what you should do. For evil is plotted against our master, in other words, against your husband, and against all in his household. And he is such a worthless man that no one can speak to him. The young man knew his master Nabal. He knew that he was a foolish man. 
And he also knew that his own life was at stake. And so he demonstrated wisdom in his decision of going to Abigail to tell her of David's care over the flocks and Nabal's greed in withholding from David and of David's evil plan of revenge. If this young man had not gone to Abigail, she would have been totally unaware of the situation and therefore would not have had the opportunity to intervene. Now, Abigail had choices to make. She could have done nothing. Now, I don't know if this could possibly have been what had gone through Abigail's mind, but she knew her husband. She told David that he was worthless, that he was a fool. If she had done nothing, she would have been rid of an evil husband and out of a very difficult marriage. But Abigail did the exact opposite. Instead of sitting back and letting the harm that he deserved come to him, she took action to protect her foolish husband and her household. Proverbs 31.12 tells us that an excellent wife brings her husband good and not harm all the days of her life. It does not say she does it if he deserves it. Abigail also could have ignored the danger that David was in, the future king of Israel. She could have chosen not to protect him from sinning but she didn't ignore it. A discerning woman is concerned to view things from God's perspective and to respond in a way that honors God. Abigail protected her husband and David not because they warranted it, but because it was what honored God. And she lost no time in doing it. She didn't give herself time to fall into the temptation to sinfully respond or to be lazy in responding. But we see she acted quickly in what was right. Because remember, there was someone else acting quickly, right? David, he had 400 men with him ready to slaughter this entire household. Abigail shows great wisdom in acting quickly. Look again at verses 18 and 19. Then Abigail hurried and took 200 loaves of bread and two jugs of wine and five sheep already prepared and five measures of roasted grain and a hundred clusters of raisins and 200 cakes of figs and loaded them on a donkey. And she said to her young men, go on before me. Behold, I am coming after you but she did not tell her husband, Nabal. She shows wisdom in sending the men ahead of her to soften David's heart and to cool his anger so that her words of truth would be received. Now, you might be wondering, why did Abigail not tell her husband? Well, we don't know because scripture doesn't tell us. We need to remember that this is a narrative portion of scripture. It's just telling us what happened. However, 
it seems reasonable to conclude that Abigail didn't keep this from her husband for her own benefit, but rather out of protection for him and her household. I believe she acted in wisdom, knowing that it would bring glory to God and good to many. I believe Abigail was concerned about her household and about protecting God's honor and removing a stumbling block from David. Let's think about what this chapter tells us about Abigail. It describes her as intelligent and discerning. The servant appealed to Abigail when Nabal responded so badly and was unapproachable, implying that he knew her to be approachable and wise and concerned for the welfare of her household. He ends his appeal with the words, Now therefore know and consider what you should do. We also know that Abigail acted in a moment of great danger and peril to her own household, as well as to David in the role to which God had ordained him. Later, David blessed God, Abigail's discernment, and Abigail herself for her intervention. We know that Abigail did tell Nabal what she had done when he was sober the next day. I believe this shows that his, her intention was not to deceive him. She spoke with great humility. She spoke truth. She acted with great courage in the face of two men who were in sin, both her husband and David. And... It appears that sitting back and doing nothing, trusting the Lord to intervene, would have been wrong. It would have been failing to do good and to prevent evil when it was within her power to act. It appears that from Abigail's perspective that she was bound to do what she could to avoid the tragedy and that she reasoned that David was more likely to be influenced by a biblical appeal since no one can speak to Nabal. In verses 21 and 22, Abigail shows me that she, excuse me, Abigail is going then to meet Nabal. And we find David and his men coming at that point then to Abigail, to, excuse me, to Nabal's household. And listen to what is on David's mind. He says, as he's coming with his 400 men, surely in vain I have guarded all that this man has in the wilderness, so that nothing was missed from all that belonged to him, and he has returned me evil for good. May God do so to the enemies of David, and more also if by morning I leave as much as one male of any who had belonged, who belonged to him. It seems that that David actually regretted the good care that he had given to Nabal's shepherds. From his perspective, he saw it as a waste of time, as having no good purpose, and he was determined to get revenge. Where is David's focus now? It was set on the one who offended him. So Abigail met up with David. 
Let's look at her response, starting in verse 23. <clears throat> when Abigail saw David, she hurried and dismounted from her donkey and fell on her face before David and bowed herself to the ground. And she fell at his feet and said, and I, I think it is so interesting that this is one of the longest discourses given by a woman in Scripture. It is full of wisdom and good theology. And it is a great example of how to appeal to someone, especially someone in authority. So she said to David, On me alone, my Lord, be the blame. And please let your maidservant speak to you. And listen to the words of your maidservant. Please do not pay attention to this worthless man, Nabal. For as his name is, so is he. Nabal is his name, and folly is with him. But I, your maidservant, did not see the young men of my Lord, whom you sent. Now, therefore, my Lord, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, since the Lord has restrained you from shedding blood and from avenging yourself by your own hand, now then let your enemies and those who seek evil against my Lord be as Nabal. And now let this gift from your maidservant, which your maidservant has brought to you, be given to the young men who accompany my Lord. Please forgive the transgression of your maidservant, for the Lord will certainly make for you an enduring house, because my Lord is fighting the battles of the, of the Lord, and evil shall not be found in you all your days. So Abigail comes as a godly woman ready to speak truth to David. And she is the only one recorded who speaks truth to him. So let's look at this again and observe her godly character and her powerful message. What do we see? First, we see great humility. Verse 23, Abigail's dismounting in the presence of David shows that she saw him as a superior. It was the highest demonstration of respect that could have been given in that culture. Bowing herself to the ground would have shown David her attitude, that she was coming to make full amends for the disrespect shown by her husband. It also communicated that she recognized and, and respected David as the future king. We likewise see a gentle, gracious appeal to David to redirect his focus away from the offender in verse 25 when she said, Please do not pay attention to this worthless man, Nabal. She wanted David to see God's protection of him. We see that in verse 26 when she tells David, The Lord has restrained you from shedding blood by avenging yourself by your own hand. She acknowledged the offense and sought to right the wrong that was committed against him by bringing a generous gift to David and his men. In verse 28, Abigail said, Please forgive the transgression of your maidservant. 
Now, it's not clear why Abigail felt the need to seek forgiveness from David. But in doing so, she shows great humility. It seems that Abigail wanted to take every obstacle out of the way in order to put David's focus back on the Lord, where it should have been all along. Abigail declared with certainty the things that were true about the Lord in his protection of David. In verses 29 through 31, she continues to point him to God. She encouraged David to look forward and to think about why he would be glad that he turned away from sin. And then in verse 32, we see how truth diffused David's anger. He first blessed the Lord and then recognized that it was God who sent Abigail. She was God's chosen messenger to speak God's truth. Abigail was ready to speak truth when truth needed to be heard. This account ends in verses 36 through 39 with Abigail going home. When Nabal was sober, she told him what had happened. And it says that his heart died within him. And ten days later, the Lord struck Nabal and he died. Look at verse 39. When David heard that Nabal was dead, he said, Blessed be the Lord who has pleaded the cause of my reproach from the hand of Nabal and has kept back his servant from evil. The Lord has also returned the evil doing of Nabal on his own head. God protected David and proved to him once again that he could be trusted to deal with a foolish man. David didn't need to take revenge when evil was returned for good. I want to end this morning with some thoughts to consider. I'd like for you just to listen. These are written out in your homework, so you're going to have the next couple weeks um, to give them some more consideration. The first thing, is it possible that God used marriage to a foolish, harsh man to teach Abigail how to make a humble, gentle appeal that would prepare her to someday appeal to David to protect him from sin that would have great consequences. Are you willing to trust God with the circumstances that he places in your life, knowing that he causes all things to work together for your good and for his glory. What would you do now so that you will be able to guard your heart and strengthen your trust in God where it's weak? And Do you know where you are prone to get blindsided and thrown off guard? How will you prepare for that? 
how can you be thinking as a discerning woman so that your thoughts are aligned with God's thoughts so that you will respond in every circumstance of life in a way that honors God. A discerning woman is concerned to view things from God's perspective and to respond in a way that honors Him. Ladies, may we grow in our discernment as we care for our hearts and seek to honor God. Let's pray. Father, we want to be women who are concerned for your glory. We pray that that would be the greatest desire of our hearts in every circumstance that we face. Father, we know that we are weak, and so we ask for your help. Would you help us to be diligent, to guard our hearts, to continually keep watch over them, and to plan for those times where we might be caught off guard. Father, we plead with you to make us women who are discerning so that our actions and our lives will bring you the honor that is due your holy name. Father, we ask for your help in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.